0: Hello, you're very welcome to this week's podcast. My recent oral history project, A Century of Change, features some amazing collection of people who in their lives made some contribution to the way Ireland has changed over the last hundred years. And one of those people who sadly passed away recently was Carl O'Neill, and he studied and taught architecture at UCD and I put together some sound clips taken from his interview for this week's podcast.
1: I was born in Capel Street. The middle of Dublin City. In the the 1930s. And we were surrounded by tenements and and, uh, poverty, and uh, my parents bought it for £100. They got married in 1918, and they bought that house. um, And he... They moved in, and uh, I was the fourth child, two sisters, one brother, and myself. And my it was a four story house with a basement, and a garden at the back. small a short small garden It's near near Bolton Street, end of, of oh, Cripps Street, it, yes. and a fine building. And uh, I, I have very very little memory of it. But my father had had was a saddler. And he oh, was born in Fermanagh, and, well he was actually born in Monaghan but he was from Fermanagh and he, he worked at first when he came to Dublin, uh, he worked in uh, Elvery's or a shop like that in Dame Street and they had a big leather horse in the window for many years and they met my mother and married very quickly and, and then he set up, he decided when he was in Scotland he worked with the biggest football manufacturer in Britain, and that's where he learned skill. He shifted from making saddles to making footballs, not unlike the same curves and things like that. I remember him in, and his his father-in-law built, helped build the shed they had in the back. It was just a lean-to, corrugated iron shed, very substantial. And he he employed two or three people. Uh, by the time I remember, and because he started in nineteen eighteen, so by that time it was, it was four or five people working for him, and I I used to go out and give him his glass of hot milk at eleven o'clock every morning and to talk to the
0: lads. He would make Gaelic football oh, yes, footballs. Oh yes, Gaelic footballs. And yeah.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, well of course they could be used for soccer too, but they, not <clears throat> rugby. He didn't make rugby any. Yeah. ever And. Uh, he got in on the ground floor, as they say, with uh, with the with the GAA and uh, he had travellers going around the country selling mm-hmm. footballs and he leaves and clearies and so on. And so the building but he was he was he was not ambitious, I suppose. He was happy doing what he did. So yeah. was he the first to O'Neill? <laughs> yeah, he was the first to O'Neill. Yeah. Footballs and jerseys yeah. and
0: and then, Cahill went on to tell me when he first realized that architecture would be his future. Well,
1: it started in, when I was six because I went to school in Skulculum Kill in Marlborough Street. And uh, my, I went to, my sisters had gone to the same school there and my older brother had gone there, so I went. And we had a very remarkable teacher. From Kerry, John O'Shea. And he was a lovely man, a gentleman, tall, good looking, and uh, like all the Kerry men. And he um, he had a sort of a, first of all, he was a very good artist. And he had made a, 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 a relief around the tall room in the school classroom, and it was of the stories of the Vienna. In battle and in whatever else, and they were remarkable. So we had this sort of game. He played. He played, or was a a test, I suppose. He had big objects, big like that press there, but uh, size. Indif. There were beautiful mahogany solid squares, cubes, cylinders, and so on. And he had them in a glass case in his classroom. And once a fortnight, he would take them out and assemble them on the floor of the classroom. Mm-hmm. And then he would, in different patterns each weekend or whatever, he would then call us all out to stand in a circle around. And we were all told to observe. Fair care, fair care. And we look at him and we'd fair care at and, and then he would say now... Sit down, see is, and we sit down and he would put a a sheet over them so we couldn't see them, couldn't see them anymore, and we would draw what we'd seen. Fascinating. And I just became famous for this because I could draw it as if it was in front of me and he said and far, and far, to me and and this went on and on and on and so he said several times to me bed the architect you know bed to the, the altar and i went home and my mother would say to me always well what does this teacher t- tell you today or teach you today or whatever and i said he said i'd be an altar and I, she said, what's that? I said, I've no idea. She said, I, well, we'll, we'll ask your Uncle Paddy. He speaks Irish. Mm-hmm. So we asked, um, this is 1937, uh, say, uh, 35 or 37. And my Uncle Paddy, who was in the Irish Army at that time, I think, and he said, oh, it means being an architect. And my mother probably said, what's that? Because nobody in those days knew what an architect was. And uh, my father was poorly edu- educated. Uh, and uh, he didn't know either. But he had a, a friend. He played golf. And he knew a, a neighbor of ours. We lived in, in Griffith Avenue at this time. and. Uh, he asked him, and the Quantisphere told him, oh, that's a great job, that's a great job. So it was decided there and then that I was going to be an architect. Right, I and I must have been very precocious, annoyingly so, to aunts and uncles and whatever else, ask me, what are you going to be when you grow up? And I'd say, an architect. And they didn't know what it was, so they just didn't comment. You know, was like, what's, he? what's he talking about?
0: Cajal explains here what the School of Architecture was like in 1949 when he first went in with his great friend, Podrick Murray, who also went on to be a renowned architect. went
1: in in 1949 yeah. and uh, met Boryg and so on. They were in the old Elser the Terrace. Those rooms were originally built as exhibition rooms. They were enormous. And ceilings, triple height ceilings, like the concert hall, really that size. That's that fills one it. of them. Yeah. And our studios were there. And when I go to the concert hall, I always imagine that I'm coming to college. And where the stairs are on the side of it, where the, where the coffee, where the coach rooms are, and so on. That's was the
0: entrance to the School of Architecture. And how how popular was architecture it was
1: very popular it was the biggest class ours was the biggest class on record at the time it's been surpassed since there were 60 in the class and there was previously it was 24 25 mm mm-hmm. there was 60 and it was an enormous room and we had four demonstrators they were called they were people who showed you what to do and so on and they were from all over the place, the countries, and some I don't know. Must have they must have? Why, do, why did they do architecture? Then I don't know. Something must have happened.
0: And and the the gender, only uh, women? women?
1: Oh, a lot of girls. was yeah, there? there? was in in, that, in my in that. class. There was, I'd say, there was ten girls, maybe fourteen.
0: Mm-hmm. He graduated in 1955 and won a travelling scholarship, which allowed him to visit and study contemporary European architecture in Europe. It
1: was an art art school and an architectural school and it's still the Bauhaus is famous because that was the first modern school of architecture in the world. And everything, everything that in architecture, education flows from that school.
0: Yeah. while he was there, he recalls the time that he was very fortunate to have met Picasso. I met a lot of famous
1: men by accident,
0: but this one was Picasso.
1: I was hitchhiking, no, I wasn't hitchhiking, I was driving my scooter. My dad bought me a scooter and I won the travelling scholarship from an inter- I, won- I did a competition for the RIAI, it was an annual one for the schools of architecture in Ireland. All students could enter. And I won it in 1954, and uh, it was a, it was a, I was delighted, and Michael Scott, you've heard of him, he was the adjudicator, he was the chairman of the committee, yeah. and, um, and he met me in the street one day afterwards, and he said, you're Carl O'Neill, aren't you? And I said, yes, yes, Michael, yes, Mr. Scott, and he said, call me Michael, and he said that was a great project you did, and I was very pleased. I see. But, but, but tell me. Oh, so now I'm yes. on a scooter, and I'm driving along, and we're staying in a youth hostel down in Cannes and uh, in South France, and I met this guy who had the same scooter, and he said, "Do you get have trouble trying so on and so forth?" So we talked scooter, we fell. We got to know one. I didn't. I fall in love, but we got to know one another, and we liked one another, and we remained friends for many years afterwards. And he said, "I'm going to an exhibition." And he he said, "I'm going to see going to visit um, Picasso's uh, uh, foundry, not foundry, um, place where he made plates."
0: Uh, or oh, metal works?
1: No, um, oh, ceramic, ceramics, ceramics, ceramics. And I said, oh, I didn't know there was you could do that. No. So I went with them. Yeah. Now I was dressed in a, a UCD blazer, which looked very really formal. And it had a, a crest on the thing. And I was, yeah. So say, I was unusually dressed, I suppose, and I've red hair, piles of it, and a big beard, and he, uh, we went there, and Picasso was there, and he came over and talked to us, and uh, in French, my French was hopeless, and uh, this guy was a student of my friend was a student of in Cambridge of languages and art, yeah. So he could chat away with them. but anyway, we talked to him, and but but Picasso kept looking at me, and looking, and he started, said said Alastria, to the stars and so on, and then we left and we went to the exhibition that we were going to go to and it was of a spanish painter um, and there was a big lot of paintings and the room was a big room and it had a mezzanine sort always of, two heights and you, so i said to this guy uh, i said "Now listen, to him. here's my camera a leica and he hadn't got a camera i said you know what i showed him how to use it you go up on the Oh, oh, no, if, if, if Picasso comes, I want you to go up on the mezzanine and photograph me when I'm asking for his my my, my autograph. <laughs> so he said, OK, that's great. So we went upstairs, and the people began to fill up, and they were very well dressed. It was the middle of the day, yeah. uh, maybe it was early evening, and there was lots of people dressed in black, long dresses, and mantilla, the, 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 the Spanish women, they were all Spanish there and because it was a Spanish painter and the Spanish painter was coming to open the exhibition and uh, so it didn't look as if he was coming so we said I will go and we went out on the steps which are like the ones outside are, this was on the first floor, it was a church that had been converted to in the middle of the road converted to an art gallery and there were steps like mine and we came out onto that to come out and just then, a black car drove up and Picasso jumped out of the back in his shorts and his striped shirt and came up with, with a sort of a trot. He came up, up the steps, they were much longer, bigger than mine. And he came trotting up and we were standing outside the door looking at him in amazement. And he said, hello, how are you? And he looked at me and he said, I remember an estra or something. He made he a joke about it, I don't yeah. know, I couldn't understand it. And he was like, he's like his photographs. Yeah. I was stunned. It was the most famous man I'd ever met. And I was just stunned. So we let him go in and we came in, and then they all applauded him inside. And he went over near a window, a sort of bay window. And I stood around thinking, of my movement. And but he's, he's going to make a speech, but before that I'd get the signature, and it was sent to my friend upstairs, John, you go upstairs," and he went upstairs and so on and uh, so then I waited my bit. I had a few words my friend had taught me what to say in French, and uh, I knew nothing about Spanish, so I went over again As the front of the gut, up to the front of the group they' standing around him, and I just said, uh, you know. Perfervolus, Mister Picasso, um, uh, would you, had a big, a, big, a big sketchbook, an architectural sketchbook, big one, bigger than that, and I said, uh, would, you, would you give me your signature, uh, your, your, signature, signature. and uh, he he looked at me, and he took the book from my hand, and he said, in Spanish, he said. Do you want me to paint your, do you want me to draw your, 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 draw your portrait?
0: It's, it's,
1: well, the crowd, in Spanish, and the crowd laughed. Everybody, there the, was the a big outburst of laughter, because it was a great joke, Picasso going to draw. And I, I didn't know what it said. And I could, I, I could hear John up on the balcony shouting something at me, and I couldn't hear it, because the crowds were all laughing so much, they thought it was a great joke. So he got his pencil and he looked, looked me in the eye with a smile. He's a real devil of that, a fellow. a great smile. And he looked at the page. He looked at me again. And he wrote Picasso.
0: He graduated two years later and moved to Chicago with his new wife, Deirdre. Where he studied at the L&I Institute of Technology with the renowned German modernist architect Nies van der Rohe, who was a huge influence on Kohl's life. My
1: life has been fashioned by the by luck, good luck. And there was a man called Mies van der Rohe, I have a book of his there, and he. He was a German who was born in eighteen, eighteen ninety six, and he went. He was very, he was very precocious and very skilled draftsman. He was, he's apparently a fantastic draw, right drawing. They were able to start
0: to make tall buildings. And is that is that where you went? That's where I went. And. What? What? True. Well, obviously. Drew, well, I looked him uh, up, and I
1: knew. I, drew, I knew about him from history, and I, I knew. But I, I knew some people. Kevin Roach, the famous arch- architect. Yes, he was. I, I became a friend of his. He was ahead of me in college, but I didn't know him then. Yeah. But he went there. Yeah. And then he left and went to a, another American.
0: And uh, what, what opportunity? What? What job? When you went over there,
1: yeah, I, I applied to get into the school. I applied to Harvard, um, IIT, and Columbia in New York. Columbia wanted me to have a deposit of six hundred dollars before they even accept my application. Oh, this was a postgrad. So. Yeah, postgrad. Yeah, and uh, and so. Of course, my wife was behind all this too. She you was, were married, I was married at the married time? Then. Yeah, just then. And, and who, who did you marry? I Ma- married Deirdre, whom I met. I was telling you about how I met Deirdre. I Deirdre. had this friend in, in Cremore. quick slip backwards. Okay, and, and who
0: was Deirdre now? Deirdre,
1: Deirdre Monks. From, from where? From, from Dublin. And she lived in a, a lovely, quiet uh, estate. I suppose you call it, yeah. in Cremore, in about... A kilometer from my house, but it's quite difficult to get to you have to go visit you. Oh, I see. So, and uh, and where I met her, her, her next door neighbour was a classmate of mine. And when we finished our leaving, we set aside a day uh, when uh, when we would meet in his house, and we would discuss our futures. And we went there to discuss our future. And we, he talked about engineering and the ESB offer to him and this and that. And I said, architecture. But at that, there's a knock on the door. We were sitting in the door, drawing room. And there's a knock on the door. And Mrs. his mother, Mrs. Lawler, put her head in the door and she said, visitors. And he said, we're, we're very busy. And she said, well, she's coming in. She's coming in. I'm, I'm giving her some letters from my garden. She was a very good gardener and she said she was coming for a letter. So this vision <laughs> put its head around the corner, and I'd never seen a more beautiful person, and uh, I just fell in love with her, I just yeah. immediately. And we never left one another. We went, in the summers I went on the continent hitchhiking, she got a fixation on Sweden.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So she went to Sweden, and she got a job in Sweden, Stockholm. Stockholm. And worked there in the summer and came home, and so we were apart for the summer, but we were together in the winter, and uh, we married her. I, I my wedding was delayed because my father died. We would have got okay. married
0: earlier. And the two of you headed off then to headed off, and she and she, she went
1: to college and she did social science. And how did you uh, keep yourselves going? Well, I very very tightly. I looked recently at the bank book we had in America. We were down to $10 between... between yeah. Th- we got paid every fortnight. Um, and she worked as a, a social worker in Chicago with the Catholic Charities. And she had a car, and she went around dispensing goodwill and money to... Mostly, put Poles and Italians. Yeah. And uh, and she loved the job, and she did very well, and got very well paid. In
0: 1961, Cahill was invited back to UCD to teach, and here he explains the circumstances that led to that appointment.
1: I got a phone. I got a letter from. You no, know, I got a phone call from Professor Fitzgerald to say. Uh, I want you to come home and teach in the school. And I said, I can't. I'm working for me, a row. He said, I know that. It's all over the town. But uh, um, I know I really need you. The school is, is really <clears throat> under huge pressure. And uh, <clears throat> I want you to come home immediately. And I said, I can't. So we bargained a bit. I oh, know I said I wouldn't. I'm not going and then when Deirdre said Deirdre really wanted to go we got but this time we had another child and we had two little kids in the depths of winter it was christmas eve practically so i went to talk to Mies and i told him what the offer was and he said you should take it you, you you'd be good at teaching and so on and so forth and i'll give you some advice and he gave me a long lecture on teaching architecture um, so I had it from the, the the horse's mouth, as you might say. But then the college secretary, um, Joe McHale, wrote to me. And I dared have pleaded with me to come home.
0: And he recalls here the turbulent time during the student rights in the college. And the then head of the School of Architecture, Desmond Fitzgerald, was let go.
1: So then he then Fitzgerald was fired in 50 in uh, 69, uh, 68, 68, it was a huge kerfuffle, the staff fell out and we went on strike, the students went on strike, the big strikes in 1949, 69, it was in France, it started in France and Italy and then it came to Dublin mm. and all the students yeah. and, and he went, he was let go uh, and uh, he tried to hang on as something else, but he, they wouldn't let him. And then there was a, 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 an interview for his replacement, and I didn't even think of going to apply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the, 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 the college did a very really clever thing. Tom Murphy, the president, decided not to hire another professor immediately. Let the thing cool down. It was such a mess. He'd bring over a guy from England. From, he was well, well recommended. Ivor Smith from Cambridge who was a no-nonsense guy and he was going to come over with an an open checkbook and an open uh, program you can do anything just come in and sort this place out so he came over and his trick was to hire about 10 young English architects who are teaching Mm. in Cambridge and elsewhere and they would fly over for three days a week, in rotation, and it was called the flying circus. Yep. <laughs> and they were bright young guys, yeah. uh, mostly young. There were some older ones, and uh, the school. There's great memories of them. They were great. They had they did an extra dimension to them, and they didn't like me, by the way. So I wasn't very popular with them, but it doesn't matter. Um, so then. Ivor Smith liked me, and me started to lean on me as being almost like the head of the school in that he was phoning me three night, three or four mornings a week at eight o'clock, and give me the, you know tell me what's going on, do this, mm. do that, do the other, and um, so he said to me, Cal, you're the only one I can rely on in this place. I want you to apply for that job. And I said, I had no intention of applying, well, but put your name down. But the extraordinary thing is that a deadline, you had to put the name down. And I was sitting in my office one day, one Friday, minding my own business, and the phone rang, and it was one of the competitors, a young guy called Peter Doyle, who I had urged to go to Chicago and all that stuff. And he had gone and so on and came back. And he was a funny fellow, and he phoned me up and said are you applying for this job? Mm-hmm. And I said, yeah. And he said, you know, today is the last day and it's five o'clock, you must have it in. Yeah. I said, what time is it? He said, it's 20 to five. Mm-hmm. I jumped in my car and I flew out to Pittsburgh and yeah. into the register's office and put it in a column and he wished to apply for the job. In the last minute. And I got the job. <laughs> and I only got it by who? I don't know how I got it. Because you know, we are well, you, I, I don't know if you've been interviewed much, but I was nervous. I'd never really been interviewed properly by anybody for that,
0: for anything like this. It was a yes. big job. Nobody. How did you manage it? How did you settle in? Did you, did you warm to the job? Was oh, totally.
1: Well, before the professorship, the other bit, teaching was, I loved the ge- ge- teaching. And then when I became professor, I decided what's needed was to get rid of the, all the older architects who had been teaching me and hadn't a brain in their head mm-hmm. they were just not. They were just, just pocket money and they were just running practices and they weren't coming in half the time I was getting young people so I hired a whole lot of people and I did very well the people that I had been teaching I, I hired them, the good ones and the people I hired were Yvonne uh, Yvonne Farrelly and Shelley McNamara John Toomey sheila o'donnell oh, yes. and they have all won the gold medals yeah from the riba and they've won big things uh, uh, the the, the uh, shelly mcnamara the grafton architects they won architect of the of the year for the world world architect of the year mm-hmm. last year <coughs> and they've won the pritzer prize this year but it hasn't been awarded yet so they're all prize winners, and and a lot of other people. I'm, I'm not going to. I should name them: Derek Tynan, uh, uh, Shea, Shea Cleary, uh, Paul Kew. Lots of them. I mean, an amazing number of people. And these were all fresh, fresh minds people. coming in, coming in, and they were so good, and they're so hardworking.
0: Did you travel much and, and give usually, lectures? Usually,
1: I. I uh, I went to Japan. The Japan Foundation invited me to go. I think they went to the colleges and said they had a scholarship for somebody to go to Japan and the president of the college, Joe, Tom Murphy, suggested me and um, and uh, I went out to Japan and I gave a lecture there and uh, at the end of the lecture, I made some jokes, as I, my lectures are generally filled with jokes, and some jokes. And I noticed every time the guy translating, he translated, and they all laughed heartily, really, you know, really enthusiastically. And I thought to myself, that's very strange. So at the end of the lecture, I said to him, "Thank you, son. Thank you very much for your. You must be a very good uh, uh, translator." because you were able to translate my funny stories exactly into, and they understood it. Ah, no son, no son, no professor, no, I do not translate your joke. I say, Professor O'Neill has now made a joke, you must clap.
0: (laughs) You've been listening to Carl O'Neill who died recently. If you would like more information on his interview, please go to our website. That's www.irishlifeandlore.com. My name is Maurice O'Keefe and I look forward to bringing you another podcast next week.